And so the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, this is a declaration of the kingdom of God. This is a declaration of Christ's kingdom. This is a character traits uh, of those who are members of the kingdom. You might ask yourself or someone might ask you, what does it mean to be a citizen in the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus is telling us that the person who is in his kingdom lives their life this way. Okay, now his, uh, the people came to hear about, about an earthly kingdom and Jesus spoke about a heavenly kingdom and about a lifestyle. Uh, his critics <clears throat> accused him of, of encouraging people to violate the law and, and yet Jesus spoke about uh, avoiding hypocrisy. Now, let me just say, if you've been a Christian long enough, you, you get this, that God's way of living contradicts the world's way of living. Okay? I mean, the things that God would ask and the things that the Lord would, would require of us is going to be different than that which is outside of Christianity. Wednesday night, we're doing a series through the book of Genesis, and uh, last week we uh, uh, read through chapter 16, where Abraham and Sarah are the covenant people of God, Abraham in particular, and God has promised amazing promises through Abraham, and He's, in, he's uh, promised him a lineage, a, a nation of people. Uh, today, that, that would be the, the uh, Israeli people. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but the problem is that Sarah is, is unable to have children. And so uh, God keeps reaffirming this promise and nothing's happening with Sarah. And so they're, they're trying to help God out. And so they spend some time in Egypt, which is not a good place to be if God hasn't called you to be in Egypt. And they come back with an Egyptian maid by the name of Hagar. And so things are getting along in years and nothing's happening. And so Sarah comes up with the cultural idea that was totally appropriate in the day and she says you know what uh, being that uh, God's made this promise to us and I'm unable to have children why don't you just be with your with my maid uh, Hagar and you can have a child through her and that will be her promised child and, and Abraham goes along with the gig and says okay I don't know and it's just kind of like all right uh, well then that creates all kinds of problems and 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 Hagar uh, ends up being a sort of a surrogate mother. Uh, it, it backfires. I mean, she becomes pregnant. She's going to have a son. And, 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 and she begins to ridicule Sarah. And Sarah can't take it anymore. And so she says, you have to go. And, and, and Hagar leaves. And, 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 and the angel of the Lord visits her. The angel of the Lord visits her and says that, that, that she's going to have a son and, and, and Ishmael is going to be his name, and uh, that's what they call him. And, um, and yet the angel of the Lord says something kind of remarkable to her. Uh, he says, now, go back to Abraham and Sarah. Go back. Now, how many counselors would say that? I mean, she's on the run. It, this is like slavery. She's a surrogate mother. And, 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 and the angel says, you know, go back to that situation. Because, you know, the, the contemporary view would be, no, you're free from that. Don't go back to that. Get out of there. Uh, yeah, but the ways of the Lord are different. And, and God had promised he would, he would bless this child and, and, you know, all that. And so she, she leaves and, 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 and she goes back. doesn't make sense. But, you know, sometimes the things that the Lord is going to call us to are just not going to make sense. And people who are outside of the kingdom of God are just not going to understand it. Okay? So get that. And so to be... A citizen in his kingdom is to understand that your life is going to be different than others. You know, understand that. Get it in your, in your spirit and just know that your life's going to be different. Okay? Now, uh, you've got to be willing, we've got to be willing to give when others are taking. Uh, we've got to love when others are hating. We've got to forgive when others don't deserve it. Uh, you've got to go the extra mile with those that you don't even want to go one foot with sometimes. And so the Sermon on the Mount illustrates these things. And, and Jesus is, is hey, he's, he's speaking life principles that we can apply to our lives on a regular basis. General Omar Bradley said this. He said, we've grasped the mystery of the Adam and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. The world has achieved brilliance without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. Wow. Powerful statement. Well, let me just say this. No one is saved by obeying the Sermon on the Mount. 
any more than you are saved by obeying the Ten Commandments. Because they involve inner attitudes. The Sermon on the Mount is much more difficult, as we'll see, to obey than even the Ten Commandments are. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll get into that because the Lord Jesus Christ takes the Ten Commandments and raises them to the heart level. Let me say this. Only a true believer can follow the Sermon on the Mount with the right motives. Oh, there are people who can be peacemakers. Uh, there, are, there are people who can be uh, meek or gentle. But I think only a true Christian can follow the Sermon on the Mount with the right motives. And that is not for any glory, not to receive anything, but solely for the glory of the Lord. Uh, every point so far in the Beatitudes has begun with being blessed. Are you blessed this morning? Yes, you're blessed. Listen, blessed means to be, in the context of what Jesus said, it means to be happy, to be envied, to be spiritually prosperous, uh, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. That's what it means to be blessed. Now, uh, the Beatitudes are not solely limited to this text that Jesus is speaking. Did you know that there were Beatitudes in the Old Testament as well? Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 32, 2 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 41, 1 says this, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Matthew eleven six. 6, uh, outside of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John twenty twenty nine says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed. So the condition of being at peace and being comforted with what God has and what God is doing in your life, regardless of those outward circumstances. Happy, uh, if you would. So, Matthew chapter... Um, verse 1 and we'll read through verse 12 and he said to the multitudes and when he said to the multitudes uh, uh, when he saw the multitudes I'll get it right uh, he went up to the mountains and after he sat down his disciples came to him and opening his mouth he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, listen, don't think of Jesus standing behind a pulpit delivering some thunderous message in some, some, uh, uh, some sanctuary environment. Uh, he had moved a little bit up the ridge of the mountain to create some distance between him and all the people that had come because of the provisions and the miracles. And, 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 and so he, he walks up the mountain a little bit to draw his disciples near to him. Then he sits down and he begins to speak to his disciples. But because of either the miracle of the Lord or because of the, 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 the topography of the Lamb, His Word gets amplified. And by the time we get to the end of the Sermon of the Mount, everyone is amazed at His teaching. Okay? And so, so that's, that's the, the context of, of where we are. So, He starts off by saying, Happy or blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful. Mercy is the act of not administering justice when that justice is punitive. 
Because of our sinfulness, we deserve death and eternal separation from God. But God provided an atonement or a covering or a taking away of our sin and through it shows us mercy. He does not deliver to the Christian the natural consequences of his sin, which is hell and damnation. Not getting what you deserve is the mercy of God. How many of you have received the mercy of God this morning? That's like, God, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. We've all broken God's law. We've all violated the Ten Commandments in word and in thought and in deed. We've sinned more than we can even remember. And those are just the things in our own mind, not the things that we've actually done. And we're guilty of a holy, righteous God of committing cosmic treason against Him, every one of us. And so God sends Jesus into the world to live a perfect life that we cannot live. And He dies a death. The wrath of God is poured out on Him. And He raises from the dead on the third day. And because of His life and death and resurrection, we receive the mercy of God. And we are... We are we are not getting what we... Have you ever been in a situation where you so did not get what you knew you had? I just remember my dad, because my dad was like, you know, first sergeant, uh, you know, black man in the, in the 60s and 70s, angry all day at work, and certainly came home even more angry, okay? And, the, and you know, and my mom would threaten us. And all she had to say is, you just... Wait until your dad gets home. And I'd be like, no, no. Well, no, I would follow her around and grovel and beg, please, mom, please don't tell anything but that. Don't tell him what we did. Don't do it. Have mercy. <laughs> hey, listen, my mom's German. She ain't, you know, she don't, she don't operate in mercy. She's like, mm -mm, no, no, you know. She's like, mm-mm, so, yeah, you ever been in that situation? Have mercy. Wow. Now, mercy is, is, is a character, essential, I don't even know how to say it. God is all about mercy. It's, it's, it's the core of who He is. And, and I, I, I don't know how to say it, really. That's God. Mercy, the Bible says, is His delight. He delights in mercy, right? Um, his, he's the father of mercy. The Bible says he's rich in mercy. Uh, King James, full of pity and merciful, James 5.11. Uh, mercy is associated with his forgiveness. Scripture says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. He's merciful in His covenant with you and I, in His faithfulness. He's merciful in His truth. Uh, it, his mercy goes forth to all. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. His mercy is uh, abundant. His mercy is practically infinite. It's everlasting. Psalm 136 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then it resounds with this chorus, For His mercy endures forever. <laughs> oh, give thanks to the God of gods. And the resounding chorus is, For His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, For His mercy endures forever. And at the risk of sounding like we're at Catholic Church, I won't have you repeat after me. No disrespect, but... That's what Psalm 136 says. Oh, it's about His mercy. So He says, that's, that's, that's who God is. So He says, blessed, happy, filled, if you would, are the merciful. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So we're seeing these these characteristic traits are things that God is and so this is what he requires his people to be God is a merciful God so he tells his children to be merciful how do we do that 
How do we do that? You can leave your finger in Matthew, and I'll give you a practical example. 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there. Let me give you the backdrop. King David is on the run from his own son, Absalom, who has usurped his kingdom. David is fleeing like a refugee. He's got a band of soldiers and some religious folks with him, but it is a desperate situation. It's a sad day for him, and it's a result of his own sin. And he doesn't even know if he'll uh, return to the kingship again. This could be the last of the last for him. Well, while he's leaving, there's a refugee, uh, 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 a relative rather, of, of King Saul who sees him. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that King Saul was the first king of Israel who started off really good but didn't end up all that good. And King David replaced him. And there was a lot of friction between Saul and David, i.e. he tried to kill David (laughs) by throwing spears at him. He was supremely jealous of King David. Uh, And David was just trying to do what God had called him to do. Well, this relative of King Saul um, comes out and starts hurling insults at David. I mean, he's, he's, he's calling him out. He's talking trash. And, and, and this, is, this is like God's anointed. And, and here's this man, Shimei is his name, and he's just, just talking big time smack to King David. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like it can't get any worse than this. He's, he's humiliated. He's leaving the kingship. His son is taken over the city, and now there's this knucklehead throwing and hurling insults at him. And and, and David's, um, one of his uh, 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 captains, uh, Abishai, has had enough and says, David, let me take his head off. (laughs) That's like, we'll put this guy to rest. One swoop and we won't be hearing him anymore. And David responds, yeah, get rid of him. No. Here's how he responds. <clears throat> he says in uh, uh, tail end of verse 12, I think it is. He says, no, if the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Verse 11, then David said to Abishai and all his servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to do it. Verse 12, and perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing as he went and throwing stones at David and tossing dust in the air. (laughs) Okay. Now David is, is a mighty military warrior. Uh, It's nothing for David to take his sword and take this guy's head off. This is nothing for him. And and, and the men that are with him, these are are like the Delta Force that are are traveling with him. You know, for these men to put someone out of their misery, that ain't nothing. They're not going to lose one wink of sleep over this. And David says, don't do it. That's amazing. It's amazing to me. Now, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 21, okay, this is when David comes back into the kingdom. Absalom dies. David reenters the throne. He's back in power again. Okay? Okay, you get it? And now, now Abishai, uh, um, uh, uh, Shimei shows up again. Oh, wow, boy. Payback. Revenge. I'm going to get some, boy, you should have never said what you said to me, right? Ooh, ooh, where is Abishai at? Abishai, deal with this man. No, look at what he says. Second Samuel 19, 21 says, Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said, Shimei should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah? David exclaimed, Why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day for execution, but for celebration. Today I am once again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shimei, David vowed, your life will be spared. What? (laughs) No way. Let me me suggest to you 
that, that David received mercy from God and therefore David gave mercy to others. Let me, let me just suggest that, okay? David received God's mercy and so he extended God's. I, I, don't, I don't know too many folk that would have responded the way that David did. I, I mean, kindly. Wow. In the par- parable of the Good Samaritan, you've heard the story. You can watch the news and every once in a while uh, you'll hear a, a, a line about a Good Samaritan who does some great deed and, 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 and helps somebody in need, maybe at risk of, of, of their own harm. Uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there is this, uh, this man who is a Jewish man who, is, uh, uh, who, is, who, is, who has been beaten and he's, and he's really left for dead. And, and, and there's a priest who, who comes by and the priest maybe should have been the compassionate one and he, and he, he crosses across the other side of the street because he's the one to deal with it. And then there's a Levite who does the same thing as the priest does. These, are, these represent the, the religious people of Israel. And if anyone should have, should have had compassion or mercy on this man, it should have been those two. Uh, well, they didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't want to get involved in this mess. And so there's a Samaritan who culturally, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans were as far uh, apart uh, uh, racially and, and ethnically uh, as, as two people groups could be. They hated one another. Well, a Samaritan, Jesus says in this parable, bandaged his wounds and brought him to an inn and then took care of him and even made sure that he was cared for for even days after he left. And then Jesus asked this question, he says, who was this Samaritan's neighbor? And someone answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now he ex- extended mercy to another. Uh, remember this, you will never have to extend as much mercy uh, to anyone else as the Lord has already given you. you. You'll never have to extend as much mercy to anyone else as the Lord has already extended toward you. The Lord has extended His mercy to us, so we should extend mercy to others. Are you a mercy giver? And if you're going to be like the Good Samaritan, sometimes to extend mercy means you're going to have to roll your sleeves up and get involved in the mess of other people. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you've received, now you give. Extend mercy to others. I heard a sermon once by Andy Stanley. He gave an amazing illustration of how to do this. He said, do for the one that you wish you could do for the many. Extend mercy to the one that you wish you could extend to everyone. And if the body of Christ would do that, there would be transformation. Because we would be giving mercy to others. Maybe you can't reach an entire people group. Maybe you can't extend mercy to every homeless person. Maybe you can't extend mercy to every fill-in-the-blank. But you can to one. And that if you do that, you'll be a mercy giver. Doling out what the Lord has given to you. This is not the mercy of salvation. That mercy is not dependent on being merciful to others. This is the daily mercy that I need. It's mercy for today. Let me give you a suggestion. If you're looking on how to give out mercy, start at your home. Be a mercy giver to those who are closest to you. Well, Jesus goes on back in Matthew chapter 5 and he says... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Woo! Listen, our hearts can't be pure until we see Jesus. King David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In verse 6 he says, You desire truth in the inward parts of your heart. The ancient Greek had the idea of straightness or honesty and clarity. It's, it's someone who's, whose motives are unmixed, uh, whose thoughts are holy, and whose conscience is clean before the Lord and before men. Uh, as a result, 
they have a greater intimacy with God than they could have ever imagined. Listen, their motives are pure. They don't have to worry. Uh, uh, you don't have to worry if they have an agenda or not. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, for, for the person uh, who is pure in heart, uh, what's on the outside is on the same as what's on the inside. Uh, they're, they're not uh, hypocritical. Uh, they don't act one way in one circumstance and act completely different in another circumstance. You know, uh, what you see is what you get. Uh, they're genuine kind of people. Uh, uh, if, if we are pure in heart with God, then we'll be pure in heart towards others. But for us to be pure in heart, first of all, we have to be right with God. And we have to be in relationship with Jesus so that we can get a good understanding of who we really are and really what's in our hearts because the Bible says that our hearts are, are desperately wicked. They're, our hearts are deceitful. Uh, there's no saving our hearts. Our hearts need to be rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ and redeemed. And so for those who are pure in heart, they will, they will see God. You know, it seems that few things fired up Jesus more than hypocrisy on display. Uh, hypocrisy means two-faced. Uh, the ancient Greek word is hypocritas. It comes from the, the, Greek, the Greek theater where, where the one actor have many faces and depending on the face that they have on, that's how they would act. Boy, Jesus has got a lot to say about that as we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what he says in Matthew 23, 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Jesus was saying, what a hypocrite. I mean, you strain to the nth degree what you give to the Lord, but you forget the most important things. You forget justice and mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. Yeah, you forget that because you're so worried about looking a certain way. You're so worried about how you appear uh, to, to others that you've forgotten the most important. You've forgotten all about relationship with me because you're so concerned about the outside. Woo, that got the Lord fired up. Let me ask a question. Is living grace a place where you can drop your mask when you walk in the door? Or do we come in with a mask of religiosity? Do we feel like if people really knew what we were struggling with, that they would not love us and not care about us, therefore we come in with a face of hypocrisy? We act a certain way. And this little, Lawrence, if you have that photo of, I'm fine. When someone asks us how we're doing, can we tell the truth? Or can we just say, no, I'm fine. I thought this was a great picture. How you doing? Do you really want to know how I'm doing? I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm confused, I'm lonely, I'm unloved, I'm judged, I'm misunderstood, I'm insignificant, I'm broken, I'm dying, eh, I'm fine. <laughs> See? Man, may this be a place where we don't have to come in with a mask on. Where we can be transparent. Where we can speak truth. And maybe not be so concerned of what others might think. Because Jesus is looking for that kind of truth in our hearts. I think we need to guard our heart against hypocrisy. I think if we're straight with the Lord, we'll be pure in heart. Jesus goes on and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the sons of God. Now, there's a gentleman, Gary, in our church who helps, he leads a motorcycle club called the Sons of God. Sons of God. And his nickname is Peacemaker. And I said to him, where did you get that nickname from? I mean, like, is it Matthew 5? That's like, we're right there today. Yeah, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. And I'm thinking, how cool was that? Like, sons of God, motorcycle club, peacemaker, Matthew 5, 9. 
And he said, well, that has a little bit to do with it. But I've kind of always loved like Western guns and stuff like that. I mean, he's going on and on talking about firearms. I go, okay. <laughs> All right, that works. That works. I just thought that was kind of a cool connection there, you know. He goes, yeah, that's a little bit. And then he talked about Western firearms and how he's always loved that stuff. And I need to ask him the connection between firearms and being a peacemaker. Hey, this is um, not those who live in peace or who have a peaceful disposition. That person, they're, they're just so peaceful. Well, that's not what that's talking about. See, see this is those who, um, uh, who step into a ruckus or, or, or a fuss or, or who create peace around them, who go out of their way to, to, to see peace take place. I have to tell you this story. Um, I think two weeks, three weeks ago, my son and I went to the NBA Summer League and... Um, uh, we had a great time. Boy, it was just a blast. Kind of a birthday gift for him, Blake. And, um, uh, and so we, we went to the, you know, the Thomas and Mack and the Cox Pavilion. We went to the Cox Pavilion, and we went to the end where the players come in and come out. And because uh, that's where, you know, you might get some cool autographs, which he did. Uh, but also we're looking for gear. You know, we're looking for shoes, uh, sweatbands, headbands. You know, I mean, he is, not me. I'm saying... I'm saying, I'm, you know, trying to help him, show him how to get autographs and how to get gear, you know. This is how you get shoes, son, all right? And if they're size 12, well, you can use them when I'm done with them. No, and, um, and, and, and so, 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 and there's, so there's all these kids, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's only so far the kids can go because they'll just kind of like rush, and, and, you know, and the players, I mean, they are, they do have to have their space, but a lot of the players were coming by, and, they, and they'd take their because it was the last game for them. Uh, they'd take their practice jersey and throw it in the air, and the kids would all jump for it. And, and it was kind of cool, you know, I mean, that they do that. And so one, one guy does that. He, he takes his, his practice jer- his, his game jersey, and he, hey, who wants this? And he, he throws it to the kids, and some adult, like, totally runs over and snatches it. And then the kids got a hold of it, and the adult has a hold of it, and they're like, you know, wrestling back and forth, and the adult, of course, he's bigger, he snatches it. And I'm like, you did not just do that. I can't believe it. One of the ushers, his name is Robert Bird. And if you're a boxing fan, you know that name. He's one of the top referees, Robert Bird. And so, so the kids are all like, man, and they're like, John, and oh, man. And they're kind of not really creating a scene, but obviously something's up. And so the usher slash boxing referee, who is a peacemaker in the ring, he walks over and says, what's going on here? And they're like, man, and, you know, this guy, and they point to the guy, and he goes, because I'm, I'm up a ways, but I can see it all right. And I'm not getting involved in this mess, but, you know, Robert's all in it. And he goes to the guy, he goes, you, come here. <laughs> Uh-oh. And the guy's like, me? He's like, yeah, you, get out here. And the guy walks down. And he, he kind of pulls them apart because the kids are all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pulls them apart and he's talking to them, talking to them. And he's, he's being a peacemaker, being a peacemaker. Next thing I know, uh, they turn to face one another, rock, paper, scissors. And the kid wins. Ah, the crowd goes wild. Ah, it was great. If I would have had that on video, I promise you, ESPN top play. I promise you. Uh, but, you know, I just, I'm just not quite caught up to think, always have my video camera on, you know. I, yeah, it was classic. It was classic. It really was. And the kid was like, yeah, the adult was all mad. I was like, man, serves you right, man, snatching that thing from a kid. There's a museum in Berlin. It's called the German Resistance Memorial. And there's a plaque that says this. And this is regarding, if you've seen the movie Valkyrie, it's regarding the men who tried to execute Hitler and restore some kind of order to Germany. And the plaque says, You did not bear the shame. You resisted. Sacrificing your life for freedom justice and honor a worthy cause but how much more to sacrifice for freedom justice, and honor for the Lord Jesus Christ 
Listen, our natural inclination is to watch strife and injustice from the sidelines. And yet our divine mandate is to take action and to create peace where there is none, even if that means suffering. Those people, God says, will be called the sons of God. So becoming a son of God can only happen, first and foremost, by receiving Jesus Christ in our hearts. 1 John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Okay? So, so that's being a son of God. But to those who are sons of God, he says, go and be a peacemaker. The Lord is a peacemaker. This is who he is. The greatest rescue mission of all time, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And since Jesus is a peacemaker, so we should be peacemakers. Let me suggest that you start being a peacemaker in your own home. Let me start with that. I think that's a good place for us to start. Well, the Lord goes on and He says, verse 10 through 12, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, you see, that flows pure in heart, peacemakers, and then persecution. I think that just kind of flows naturally because if you choose to become a peacemaker, you might suffer this. But He says, Happy or blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults on you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil and false uh, against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is, in heaven is, is great. And, and that's strong and intense. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that's, that's pretty good company right there. Live by these character traits and you might first face some persecution. Now, it may not be that you would lose your life over it, uh, uh, but uh, uh, it might be that you face some persecution from some co-workers. Maybe it's a boss who ridicules your faith. Maybe you're a student at school and, 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 uh, and the see you at the poll rally. You show up to the see you at the poll rally and you're the only one there. Or maybe there's a small group of you that are huddled around the flagpole praying and the other kids are walking by and they're hurling insults at you and ridiculing you. Yeah, you might face some of that. For the sake of righteousness, Jesus says, and on account of me. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. You can turn there if you like. Speaking of Paul the Apostle, it says, On the next day, verse, verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he came uh, to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those uh, from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. You see what they're saying? They're saying, Paul, don't do it. It could end up in death for you. You're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. Look at what he says. Keeping in mind the context of Matthew 5. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we, he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. For the sake of righteousness and on the count of Jesus. Not suffering because of something you did foolish. And you think, oh man, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You broke a law. <laughs> no, you shouldn't have been doing that. And then he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I mean, I think heaven is 
think heaven's quite the reward, don't you? I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, here we are Monday a week ago praying, and, and, and there's a prayer ser- vigil, worship prayer service outside of Desert Springs Hospital, and there's some 200 people gathered in the parking lot, no seats, no amplification system, praising the Lord and asking God for a miracle in Pastor John Michael's life. And, and, and he, would, he, would, he would walk to the window and wave. Oh, it was such an amazing scene. They said that nurses would walk into his room and just begin weeping, just seeing this display of God's grace and mercy and love of the saints. An amazing thing. Amazing thing. But you know what, though? Um, I, I, I was sort of praying in my heart, and I was saying, you know what? Man, yeah, we do pray for a miracle. We do pray for a healing. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be like stage four cancer, man, every fiber of his body, and he walks out. What a testimony. And, you know, and we're like, yes, and Lord, don't take him. We're not ready for him to go. But on the other hand, you know what his response was? I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so we're praying, Lord, do a miracle. No, Lord, be with this family. No, Lord, it, Mexico, I mean, how do you pray? It's like, Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And the Lord's will was done. Heaven enough. Enough. But he says, for those of you who step out and are persecuted for the sake of righteousness or account of me, oh, great. It's almost like there's another level of reward for you. Oh, that's pretty cool. And you know, there are those folks who are willing to die for Christ. And I suppose I just want to be willing to live for Him. Because I think if I will live for Him, maybe, I don't want to be tested in this, maybe I'd be willing to die for Him. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Let me conclude with just a couple things here. This is a story that I came across I thought was interesting. Speaking about for the sake of righteousness and on account of me. One time to get, uh, to, get to her former plantation uh, to spirit away more slaves, she disguised herself as an old granny with a ragged dress and a scarf draped over her head to keep the sun off. She bought s- several live chickens, which she carried. Uh, then she slouched down like a doddering old woman and hobbled down the road in broad daylight. Of all the people, who should ride up, to the, uh, up the road on this horse but her former master himself? Truly, he would see the prominent scar on her face. Quickly, Harriet let go of the chickens, and so they squawked and ran and flew half every, every which way. Then waddling and bent over like an old woman, she chased after each one. The doctor watched for a while, chuckling as he rode on. Sometimes the very thing she worried over happened. She would have a seizure and fall into a deep sleep while trying to run slaves out of danger. But during this sleep, the Lord sent, a vivid, uh, sent her vivid dreams about what they should do and where they should go when she woke up. Harriet always obeyed these visions, even when they didn't seem to make sense. While on the run, Harriet and her passengers slept by day and traveled by night. But one morning, as they were settling down to rest in the forest, one of Harriet's dreams told them they had to keep moving all day, for the slavers were on their trail. She woke everyone up and got them going again. Then she passed out in plain sight in the middle of a road. When she woke up, her passengers were waiting for her uh, there on that road, the sun shining down on all of them. Harriet was horrified that they could have been seen, but they hadn't been seen. And the Lord had given Harriet instructions in this in a dream. The bloodhounds were close, she'd been shown. She ran everyone back into the woods and zigzagged in every direction until they reached a river. Even though she didn't know this particular river, it had been in her dream. And in the dream, she'd been shown that it had a sandbar they could cross on. The others were skeptical, but they had to trust Harriet. She started across the icy river, all five feet of her. Even though she waded up to her neck, the water never got deeper than that on the sandbar. 
Sure enough, they got to the other side. Eventually, they found themselves on an island where Harriet ran them through the woods until they came upon a cabin. Would the inhabitants be friendly or foe? Not to worry, Harriet had seen this in her dream too. She knocked on the door. The family of free blacks answered. There the runaways were able to rest, eat, dry their clothes by the fire. The next day they got back onto the road via a different route and discovered by trampled grass, cigarette butts, and wanted posters that the law had tracked them down right to the very spot where Harriet had passed out. The bloodhounds had indeed been on their trail, but the zigzagging had confused them. Then the scent of the runaways had been washed away in the river. The dogs could not find them. Sometimes the slave was too frightened or too exhausted to go on, but Harriet made him go on for the sake of many. If he turned back, the law would find ways to make him talk, and the entire underground railroad uh, would be jeopardized. <clears throat> Slaves would be sent back to slaveholders, and white citizens would be thrown in prison. For these reasons, Harriet always carried a gun. <laughs> she prayed never to have to use it. But when a slave threatened to turn back, she aimed the gun straight at the slave and said with absolute conviction in her voice, go free or die. The slave never turned back. In all her years as conductor of the Underground Railroad, Harriet never pulled the trigger of her gun. Blessed are the peacemakers. She didn't do that simply, Harriet Tubman, to free slaves. Not only because of that. She did that because of her conviction that blessed are the merciful and they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the peacemakers. Her conviction that as the Lord had worked in her life, she needed to do something in response to the injustice of slavery. Guys, coming up, we're going to have some communion, and so if you can make your way up, I want to close by saying this. You know what? If you want to show mercy, it will require you to be placed in a position that requires mercy. If you want to be pure in heart, it will require you to search your heart constantly and remove things that take your heart. If you want to be a peacemaker, it will require you to be put into situations that require someone to step in and make peace. And that will take courage let me let me just say this guys I am not a courageous person by nature I'm not um, I'm not one who will run into a fricass and try to create peace that's just not me uh, I've had some situations where I've done better better than others and I've had some that I've failed miserably. And I felt like such a coward. And I share that to say that what the Lord is talking about is something that has to come from Him. I desire to be a courageous man, but I'm not always that. But I kind of believe that if I'll stay close to the Lord, and if my heart's right, and if them situations come up, which they will, and they have in your life too, that require you to be courageous, that, that, that you'll stand up. You'll do not the right thing, but the God thing. And not for the sake of being courageous, for the glory of the Lord. Not because of what you might get out of it, or the way that people will perceive you not for any other agenda than to say, Lord, you know what? This is really what I think you would do in this situation. Give me the strength, God, to do what you would do. And as we've been seeing, it's not just what the world would normally do. Before we take communion, I want to pray. There are some people in here that are pretty courageous people. I, I believe that. And I just want you, before we take communion, if, if, if you feel like, you know what, Lord, I need courage. 
I need to stand in this situation that I'm in or one that I know is coming or I'm fearful, Lord. And I think being afraid isn't such a bad thing as long as it doesn't stop you from where God wants to take you. Because I think that by His grace and by His mercy, even if we're afraid, we can still go. And so before we take communion, if, if, if that's you, and then this is just something God placed on my heart. If you feel like, Lord, I need courage, I do. And I don't need courage for courage's sake. I need strength from above. I do. Maybe you're a student, school is starting, and you're like, Lord, man, I want to turn it around. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be a hypocrite in my school. I don't want to be like so many Christian kids that are in the closet that refuse to come out and really, really say that they're Christian. I want to stand strong for the convictions that, that, that I know are right. Maybe it's in the workplace and it's just like it's going to take courage for you to go and say something you need to say. Maybe it's a relationship you're in and you're thinking, man, this, this is not going where it needs to go, but I need to be strong in this and trust in God. So before we take communion, just if you would, if, if that's you and you need just a, you're acknowledging that, would you stand with me as I stand with you? If you just need that, I just want to just pray together. And, and if some of you... Um, standing around these others, could you just maybe even lay hands on these? And maybe you're a you're a you're a, 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 a combat veteran, and you know the courage you know that runs in your blood, and, and God blessed you with that warrior spirit. But if that's you, and, and could you just lay hand on some of these folks around you and just say, just pray, and and we will pray collectively. Father, you see, I'm I'm standing, Lord. I I need courage, Lord, and I need it every day. I do. I can be as weak and as mealy mouthed and as, as um, uncourageous as there is. And I say, Lord, um, we say, God, um, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be merciful. Lord, we want to step out when you say step out. We want to speak when you say speak. Even if we're afraid and we totally mess it up, God, at least we'll know we stepped out. And so, Lord, we ask for that from above. We, we don't ask for courage just so we can say we're courageous, but we're asking for courage for, the, for, the, for today, for the challenges that rise, uh, that, that, that are there now. We want courage today. God, give us that courage today, Lord. And, and we, we, we trust in you for it, and we will, by your grace, we will walk in it. And Lord, throughout this week, when we find ourselves slipping back into fear, Holy Spirit, would you remind us of the stand this morning? And may we say, this is it. This is my time to just speak truth in love. This is my time to stand firm. This is my time to not, not back down. So Lord, would you do that for us? And you say that you would, and that we would be peacemakers, and that we would be your, your courage. Lord, if we're going to follow this, it's going to take courage. And we ask you to give it, and we know that you will in Jesus' name. Amen.